Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Good afternoon, and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today's guest is Derek Canis. He's got a very uh, interesting story for us, a story of recovery, a story of overcoming, and a story of what it takes to keep focused on forward. So Derek, we're, we're anxious to hear your story. <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to it. So anytime you're ready, please go ahead and get started. Um, my story starts when I was three months old and I was taken to my three-month checkup. And the doctor noticed that whenever I would cry, it would, um, my lips would turn a little bit blue, kind of purple. And I became what was known back in the mid, late 80s as a blue baby. And I was sent to um, a cardiologist to um, have further checkup and to see what was going on. And when I got, um, up to Augusta, which is where I was treated at Medical College of Georgia, they realized I had what was known as transposition of the great arteries, which meant that my heart was pumping blood backwards. My body was getting unoxygenated blood and oxygenated blood was being flowed around my heart instead of going out as it should have. So that needed surgery and it was immediate surgery. I was taken, I believe, a day or two after, if not sooner, into surgery. And the surgery required um, blood transfusions. And my family tried to donate blood, but it was too urgent. The hospital didn't have time. They didn't want to have to go through that process. So we went ahead with surgery and recovery and that was a i'm not sure how long the surgery was but it was heart surgery in the 80s so i'm assuming it was pretty much like a horror movie there wasn't um like now you see surgeries on tv and surgeries even in person are virtually bloodless back then it was pretty gruesome there's bone saws every bone in my chest has been broken and stapled back together i am and during the surgery they interrupted the stenatic node of the heart which is the electrical powerhouse of your heart so i required a pacemaker which I'm sure my parents were delighted to learn that they now had a battery-operated kid. And I made it out of surgery, luckily, and three months in intensive care with um, some touch-and-go moments, kidneys having problems, different lung issues, this and that, and finally made it home three months later, power pack and all, and just started living life and, you know, being a kid as much as I could be. Mom didn't really allow uh, too many sports because I had an infant pacemaker. So it was in my stomach. So there wasn't too many baseball games, karate. Well, I grew up always wanting to be the karate kid and I never really got the chance. So the only, my major health ailment was um, pacemaker batteries. Those were my biggest enemies. They lasted, first one lasted 10 years. So 10 years of age, I'm getting my second pacemaker implanted. And that's pretty, 
pretty easy experience considering all this stuff I've been through. So that required another surgery then? Yeah, it is a surgery, but it's a pretty easy one. It's outpatient. Well, well in comparison, right. So this one you said yeah. for the battery pack that was in your, in your stomach, you said for the pacemaker now? Yeah, and when they uh, replace them, it's a full replacement. They replace a uh, pacemaker itself and they leave the lead wires that go to the heart. So they just, it's like plugging in headphones into a new MP3 player, basically. As crazy as that sounds, that's what it looks like if you see it on an x-ray. Okay. So that happened at the age of 10. And then around uh, 12, 13, it starts getting noticed I'm not growing on pace with the rest of the kids in class, with other family members. I grew up, I have a cousin that's three months younger than me. So I had, family had a real good monitor of where I was, you know, growth and health and weight wise throughout the years. And that the um, range started to become quite evident as uh, 12, 13, 14 hit that I was falling behind and pretty rapidly. And then at 15, I had to have the, my third pacemaker implanted. And um, I'm cleared for that one, go up, have the surgery. And I come out of surgery, anesthesia, very, very rough. I'm not breathing. I'm not breathing to the point that they actually have to physically do CPR on me and post-op to get me to start breathing again. But I get, made a home from that, luckily, made a home, but I had a cough, a really, really bad cough, and I couldn't get rid of it. So I couldn't get cleared to go back to school. And so I went to a new doctor in town, to a pulmonologist. And I walked into his office and he immediately said, what's wrong with you? And my reaction was, nice to meet you too, doc. I have a bad heart. And he started to inform me that my heart had zero to do with my height and weight as I presented in his office at 15, I was four foot tall and just over 50 pounds. So there was something there. And this man ran me through every test you can imagine that he could think of that he was qualified to do and everything came back negative. I didn't have it. So he kind of, he, said, you need somebody smarter than me. And he decides to send me to the one place you don't send a Georgia Bulldog fan, which is to the swamp. He sent me to the University of Florida. Enemy territory, nice. Yeah, not a place I wanted to be. But there I started going to see an endocrinologist. And they started giving me human growth hormones. And it was the exact same stuff that, if you remember a few years ago, the Major League Baseball players started getting oh, busted yeah. left. Yeah, yeah, for Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and all that stuff. That's what I was using. Okay. And, and it works. It really, really works. It's about a, want to say just over a year I gained a foot in height and over 50 pounds in weight. So they knew what they were doing, taking it. I missed taking it. It was great. It was great stuff. Still is great stuff. And um, one day I went for a checkup and my doctor was there and another girl was with her. And I was a little, who is this? And I found out that my doctor was using my case 
to train medical students because my doctor was the head of the department. So what it means is she was taking my medical charts and they blot out my name, any personal info of me, and the students just get and a folder that says you have a patient presents like this, this, and this. Where do you go from here? Right. So she was presenting statistical information to the students. One student realized that I had had blood in 1985 and never had an HIV test. So it was sheer luck that somebody had that idea because it never crossed my mind it never crossed my family's mind and i submitted to the test and um two weeks later that's how many years ago this was now you can get a test and in five minutes you know your results but it was two weeks later i went back and i got a positive result and I was diagnosed with AIDS. It had progressed to the point of AIDS. And I had wasting syndrome, which means my body was physically to the point it was shutting down. It was getting ready to die. And then I met my medical team for that new condition. So that was probably one of the longest days of my life. Now, what year was it when you, because you said now the, 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 you got the blood in 1985, no test was given. What year was it now when you received your test and got the positive confirmation? 2001. 2001. Okay, so 16 years. I want to say it was April of 2001. And so how old were you at that time when you 16 when you were 16 so yeah. how did that affect you at 16 years of age knowing that this is the outcome of what you had gone through i thought i was dead i honestly when i heard the word aids i thought i was dead and then I met a doctor that would end up treating me. And the first thing he told me was, I, I, I was going to go to his funeral. He wasn't going to go to mine. Well, if nothing else, you had to love this positivity. Yeah. And his cockiness, that kind of gave me I'll take a little well, cockiness from a doctor. I mean, that was kind of, that was an unexpected punch in the chest. I was like, all right, prove it. And that's really what the relationship with me and him became. It was a friend, doctor. I mean, he was. I don't know how to explain it really well, but he ended up becoming some a doctor I looked forward to going to see because we turned everything kind of into a game. Because with there's a lot with HIV and you get viral loads and you've got CD4 counts, which are the cells that fight infection. And so he kind of helped, he liked my idea of looking at it as a video game. The more I took the meds, the more the viral load dropped, the CD4 account went up. We're winning the game. And he got me to undetectable within a year and a half. And that's for me having zero, I think I had zero T cells. So I had, if I, if it wasn't zero, it was as close to zero as I could have gotten and still been alive. 
So, I mean, I, he literally pulled me out of the grave. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So why, why did you choose to look at it like a video game? Let me ask you that. Because I, I grew up playing video games. I, that was a part of my life since I was probably three. I remember having the original Nintendo with Duck Hunt. Oh, sure. Good times. And so it just, it became, it took me out of it. It kind of took me out of it and let me look at it from an outside perspective and be able to look at the numbers. And if something wasn't right, all right, let's strategize how to get it right. So it was a, I don't know, it was kind of a military way of looking at it. It was kind of a strategic way of looking at it. Either way, it, it, it took me standing outside of it to be able to overtake what I had to, the obstacles that were in front of me. Okay. Well, that's understandable. And, you know, I think sometimes for, for recovery to happen, you have to take the, the personal aspect out of it and be able to look at it a little cold, a little callously, but it's what I think sometimes is needed to be able to, to move forward. That's exactly what I had to do because being 16 and that diagnosis, it just shredded anything I thought I was or was going to be. I mean, those are the years when you're figuring all that out. Right. And it got ripped apart. So I was able to rebuild whatever person I wanted to be. And I did a really bad job, I'll admit to this, that you know, when I picked up all the parts, I mean, I picked up a lot of ego, a little bit of charm, and a lot of stubbornness. I mean, just the things I needed to get me to the next day. There was no point in me trying to pick up, you know, things that wouldn't get me to tomorrow. And I knew exactly what I needed. Okay. So now you're at the point where you're about, about 17 or so years old. What happens from this point? I um, I dropped out of high school and I just went and got a GED because school, I just, at this point with the meds, I every day was waking up, you know, feeling different. I couldn't maintain a school schedule. So I just went ahead and you know, called that part. I was like, I'll just get this done. You know, there's certain little things that you start prioritizing and that was on the list. So I took that off the list, got that done. And then I went and got my first job as a waiter and it was hilarious, it was fun. It was one of the coolest jobs. I look back on that job. I hated it when I was in it sometimes, but I miss it when I look back on it. I guess everybody's first job's kind of like that. You don't ever, you gotta get past it and look back to kind of laugh at it. Yeah, first jobs are never glory jobs, that's for sure. But the first job, I met a girl on the job and she became a really, really good friend of mine, really good supporter. And uh, started sneaking me in a local little nightclub. And it was a little karaoke club and we would sneak in there. Well, she would sneak me in there. She wasn't sneaking in there. And I would just hang out. I would have fun. I wasn't drinking. I would just drink a Coke, hang back, and enjoy the night. Well, about two years into it, two or three years into it, I'm not sure. I got the courage up to grab the karaoke book and started looking through it. And this is right when everybody got the flip phones that had the camera, had the little camera on the back. So I'm flipping through and I find a song and I turn it in. And even the DJ looks at me like I'm crazy. He's like, really? 
been coming here for years. You've never done this. Now all of a sudden, you're gonna try this out. Yeah, let's try it. And I sang probably one of the most well-known sing-along songs and probably one of the songs that a majority of people will say they hate, but they know every word to. And that's Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the club had wireless microphones. They had just got them. So I ran through this entire bar and I got the entire place standing up and singing. And singing so loud, I couldn't hear the music. And we had fun that night. I went home, didn't think anything about it. And next night, my phone goes off, and it's a number I don't realize, don't know, so I answer it. It's the club owner. And he introduces himself, and he goes, heard about what you did last night. I said, you heard about that, huh? And he goes, yeah, and I've seen videos. My phone's been getting videos all day. He said, what are you doing tonight? I said, no, I'm not doing anything. He said, I would love it if you would come up and do it again. I said, all right. So I went back up to the club. And the funny thing was, this was when CD burners were big. So I was making mixed CDs with music that had made their way into his club. Well, his guys didn't know a lot of this music. So I made a deal with them. I said, I'll hang out with the DJ, help him with the music selection, if he'll teach me how to do the job. The owner said deal automatically. He said, I don't care how my guy feels. He said, it's a deal. This was fair trade in my opinion. So I kept his club packed by doing crazy stunts, by keeping the music on point. And eventually I took off on my own little DJ career and started jumping from club to club all around town and building my name as a DJ. Okay. And that was one of the, I mean, the most fun things I've ever done in my life was being able to do that. I made it all the way um, from the little small town karaoke bar to working over on St. Simon's Island, which is about 20 minutes from my house. But it was the largest bar in the area. It held over 700 people. Oh, wow. So I was able to play at a club on Friday and Saturday nights. I took over Friday and Saturday nights there, I want to say five years ago. And that's 700 people a night. Nice. Come in to see me and I boosted their revenues like crazy. And I, I've played at Senior Frogs. I've traveled down to Orlando. I use a DJ system that's called a Touchscreen Innovations Elite DJ System. Okay. So it's a 46-inch piece of glass, and the DJ software is projected onto it. So when I'm on stage, it looks like one of the screens Iron Man would use. Oh, yeah, okay. Or if you've seen the movie Minority Report. Sure. That's exactly what it looks like with me. Oh, that's cool. I write messages to the crowd. I mean, it's it's an insane show. I became known as a performance DJ because I, I would, that Ziggy's the big place on St. Simon's, I had an entire stage. So I would use the entire stage the entire night. I would bring people on stage. They would sing along. We would pack. I mean, I, it was just insane. I ended up in my, my thing that I always love is that I took Derek, who 
as a kid with all these medical issues and all these terrible things. And I got people to see that guy as DJ D-Rec, who is, you know, just this wild man on stage. And that, so I think of myself as kind of a magician and the fact that I was able to do that. I'm able to completely transform somebody's opinion of me, depending on what time of the day it is. So based on your on your performance instead of who you are. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I okay. can. I can have somebody either look at me as one persona or another, depending on what I want them to see. Okay. And it's kind of a coping, it's really a coping mechanism. It's probably not a healthy one, but it's one I use a lot. Well, I think there are much more unhealthy coping mechanisms that people use. I don't, so I, I think you're okay there in my, uh, my unlicensed, un, uh, unprofessional opinion. So, uh, so are you still DJing now or is that, or is that something you no longer do? It's um, pretty much been sidelined because of COVID. Well, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, up, in, up until the point of uh, COVID shutting everybody down, this was something you were doing then. Yeah, I was. Um, I got away from the nightclubs about two and a half years ago, taking a little break, and then um, I was doing that. Uh, just weddings, birthdays, just doing some smaller stuff, give myself a break. 10, well, 13 years in nightclubs, it just, it wears on you. You've done it. Yeah, once I can, you, I can only imagine. There, yeah. I mean, once you've had, you, you get so many epic nights and so many crazy stories, you don't need to keep adding to that book. So I took a little time off and I got bored, which I knew would happen. And I decided that I, I looked back at my life story and I thought maybe I could help people. Maybe I could do something. Okay. And I, I started the In the Stigma campaign. And it is a campaign to bring awareness to HIV and AIDS patients around the country. And, um, we do different walks, events, virtual events, different. I'm on a couple different boards. I've, um, we've done three uh, toy drives past couple of years that have been huge successes. Awesome. I, um, I call up my friends. I call the Grinch. I call Santa. And I call up some friends with some wild classic cars. And I also call up my cop friends. And we create a mini parade from a toy drive location and take them all to a hospital to uh, waiting patients that are just in awe because they get to see Santa, they meet the Grinch, they get to meet the cops, they get to check out the cop cars. The parents okay. are usually checking out the classic cars. They're wanting to see the inside the cop car. That's a huge event. Sounds like it. Now, where does this take place at? Down in Georgia? Yeah, down in Brunswick, Georgia. We've done uh, three of them. I've done two to benefit the local hospital and one to benefit um, Wolfson Children's Hospital in Jacksonville. Okay. Nice. And they've been great. We've um, all together, I think we've raised over $10,000 and 800 toys, I believe. Oh, that's awesome. And underneath that, I started uh, this thing. They're called uh, Dirac's Angels and Warriors, which is kind of my street team. We have wristbands and shirts for them. And I also have these little plush dogs that I've created 
that we send out to kids that are in the hospital fighting uh, different ailments. Okay. I'll send you pictures of all the stuff. And, That'd be uh, great. It's just something that when I can't be there, it reminds people to keep fighting and, you know, that there's always, you know, something to keep fighting for. Keep your head up. Keep moving forward. Now, does that is that something that you're... I know it's something you're active in, but is that something that's active year round or is it just, is it a seasonal type of thing that you participate in? The, the campaign or the toy drives or? Uh, the campaign. No, the campaign I do um, nonstop all year. I have my own website. So um, I'm all the time posting there about what we're doing and where we're going and what virtual drives we're part of, this and that. It's, it's nonstop. Why don't you share the, that website real quick with, with the listeners? The website is DerekCanis.com, D-E-R-E-K-C-A-N-A-S.com. Can they uh, donate or, or, or help from that website? Yes, there's a message tab there. Um, there may be a fun tab. I'm not sure. The support dogs are there. You can buy them, have them sent to you. I've got to get um, the wristbands and the shirts. I got to get a photographer to take some nice pictures for me. Okay. And put them there. Um, we're building a shop up um, currently. It was something that I was kind of lax on for a minute, but now I'm really, you know, with COVID, I've, I've jumped on that more. So we're doing more and more there. Okay. Excellent. So how is your health today? Uh, today I'm doing um, as good as I can be. I'm currently on my fifth pacemaker. I know we only talked about three, but there's been two more. Okay. The fourth one, the third one I killed totally, which was by mistake. I promise I didn't kill it intentionally. I um, went to a cardiologist regular checkup and they went to check everything and the machine wasn't working. So they came in, tried another machine, didn't work. Then they took my pulse and blood pressure manually, and I was immediately shuffled into a room and told to lay down. I'm sitting up on my phone. My doctor walks in with a clipboard, and he goes, you don't listen at all, do you? And I, I just kind of laughed, and I said, usually, what's going on? And he said, well, your heart rate, pretty low. I said, what is pretty low? <laughs> and the nurse came over and she put my left hand on my chest and I heard, I felt boom, boom, boom. He said, does that feel normal? I said, feels all right to me. I said, I ran two miles yesterday, doc, what's up? He said, your heart rate is resting at 39 beats a minute. You're an alligator. <laughs> I said, how does that happen? He said, apparently the last time you were here and we did a battery check, we got a bad reading. And whatever happened between six months, between that, I completely killed the pacemaker. The pacemaker wouldn't even light up on the machine. Oh, wow. I don't know if you know anything about pacemakers, but they pick you up to a bunch of leads and then they put a magnet over it. And usually when the magnet is placed over it, it pops up like a hard drive would on your mm -hmm. computer. And you just double click it and you read a report. Mine would not even light up. So it was completely dead in the water. So they repaired that, put a new one in. I think they did, what did we do with that? I think there were five procedures there. 
Oh, they took the old one out, put the new, put the new one went in my shoulder. So I have an adult pacemaker now with two leads leading from it. And I still have two leads from the original three pacemakers. So I have wires that are just hanging down in my stomach, down towards my stomach. And I have a battery box and wires in my shoulder currently. So Interesting. Okay. I am really not fun to fly with. <laughs> I'm sure you set the, off a few alarms. I am the guy that gets to meet the TSA agents, probably three or four usually. <laughs> and I have a card. I have paperwork. I have all the stuff I'm supposed to have. Explain, um, explain it. They laugh. They get a cool story. They get a cool picture on their screen that they're usually shocked about. I don't know if they can screen grab or keep or any of that. But anyway, they're always shocked. They're always like, how in the world? Yeah. But um, they put the fourth pacemaker they did, they did that. And they did a cardio version, which I don't recommend to anybody ever to have. I had to have a cardio version because my heart had fell out of rhythm. I'm familiar with that. Cardio, are you familiar with the cardio version? Yes, I had to have yeah. several. Yeah, not recommended, would you? It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> no. no I, I've I had, never had uh, my... Go ahead. I've never had my eyelashes hurt. <laughs> yeah, I had I had uh, uh, severe atrial fibrillation for a few years, and so I was cardio inverted several times. Jeez, so you know about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always fun to you know, always fun to have that happen. Yeah. But, but I had so after that pacemaker, we can fast forward to. What happened next was I get up one day and I get on Facebook, start the day like everybody else does. And I look at the memories that they like to occasionally show. Sure. Memory is a picture of me and my mom in a hospital waiting room getting the fourth pacemaker done. And it says eight years ago. Okay. Seems like a little wow and i have not been keeping up with any of the pacemaker checks i haven't even been keeping up with the cardiologist at this point i was busy djing that's how young and stupid i was so i start scrambling around trying to i find the box that i'm supposed to use to check the pacemaker try to use it you have to plug it into a landline. So finally get a hold of a landline, plug it in, doesn't work. So I have to call the company and they have to send me another piece to add to it. I found out I was trying to send a fax to a company that now only wants email. So I get all that, put it all together, finally send the report. And 22 hours later, my phone is ringing and it's a very unhappy cardiologist. <laughs> I'm sure. And he says, I thought you were dead or had found a new doctor. I said, I'm not dead. I didn't find a new doctor. What are you doing Thursday? He said, it ain't about what I'm doing Thursday. It's about you need to be here Thursday. I said, yes, sir. I'll be there Thursday. <laughs> so it's 6 a.m. I come rolling in. And they put in the fifth pacemaker. And he sends me home. He said, I'll program it in two months. All right, let's do it. Two months. I'm sitting at home and my phone goes off. And it's my cousin who I grew up with lives in San Diego and he is a Navy corpsman 
which is funny to me. He's he got in the medical field because I'm always like, where were you 20 years ago? I could have used you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he calls me and he goes, how are you feeling? I said, I'm great. I'm at home. I'm in a heated massage chair. What's up? He goes, you're home? I said, yeah, I'm home. What's up? He goes, what hell in the hell are you home? I said, it was a two and a half hour procedure. They did it at six. I was home at noon. What's up? He goes, I just can't believe you're sitting at home. He goes, how's your pain level? I said, I'm fine. He goes, how, what about your bandage? How are you bandaged up? Your shoulder's all right, blah, blah, blah. I said, there's no bandage. I'm good. I said, they stitched the muscle and they glued the skin. He goes, are you freaking kidding me? They sent you home like that? I said, yes, they sent me home like that. So he's freaking out and calling fa family freaking out. So I calm everybody down. I'm like, look, I got to go back in two months. Y'all can freak out then. That's when I'm going to freak out. Because they had to do a lot when I went back. When I went back... I had to be on a injectable blood thinner for a week before they would even do the procedure because I couldn't have any blood clots. Sure. So I did all that. I get down there and before they do it, they ran a scope through my neck, down behind my heart, check everything, look at all that make sure everything's good. Then they run a cath up my left leg and found out the artery dead end somewhere in my upper torso. It just stops. That's how many cath labs I've been in. That, that artery just said, yeah, we're not gonna let you in here anymore. <laughs> so they had to start their procedure again in the right leg right leg goes all the way up through and that begins i think they did an um cardiac aversion there to reset yeah they did that to start the day which i was out out this time so it didn't bother me as much right and then they um that started a what would be eight hour cardiac ablation procedure, which is where they map your heart out. They do a 3D rendering of your heart. And then they go in and find all the spots where the electrical interruptions are. Mm -hmm. And I have a video of this and it, I've never seen so many yellow dots on a screen. In my life, I completely understand why it took eight hours. A lot of work to do, sure. It took so long that my doctor took the next day off. I was discharged by a nurse and a note from him saying, have a happy Good Friday. I'm home. You're going home. This is how we do Good Friday. And that in, had, has started, the, you know, the past two and a half years have been great. I felt better than I have in a long, long time. I forgot what normal breathing was. I had to learn to breathe again. That's how, much, how damaged my heart muscle was. Yeah, the only way I can relate to that is I also had a, I had to have uh, an ablation as well to correct my atrial fibrillation. And it was like night and day before I went in the hospital. And when I came out, when I yeah. woke up from the surgery, I, even though I was sore from, you know, everything that happening around the, you know, um, I felt a million times better because everything was working as it should. And then I had forgotten what that felt like. Oh yeah, then when I the night I spent in the hospital, it was a nurse just constantly coming in, going, "Breathe, 
because my oxygen kept dropping. She goes, just breathe. She said, take a deep breath, hold it, let it out through your mouth. And she had to keep reminding me to do that. She goes, you're breathing. Everything is different now. I said, well, nobody told me that. <laughs> they should put that in the packet before they sell this. Somewhere in the pamphlet tell you that that's a, a mandatory thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you had that two and a half years ago? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so heart wise, short of the pacemaker still, you're, you're doing so you're doing better then. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to get them right now to put an actual, a new pacemaker that came out, which is called the Mitra, which goes inside the heart. Okay. Because I'm a very thin, thin frame. I'm not heavy. My the pacemaker is easily, easily visible in my chest. Okay. And I just don't like the look of it. If I could get rid of that and still maintain a pacemaker, that's what I'm after. So would it require open heart surgery then for that to happen? No, it's a calf. They actually oh, run it okay. through a calf. And it's the size of um I think it's less than the size of a quarter. Oh wow. But it's a long, it's a cylindrical little thing with prongs and it's got a button and they push it down on the heart and the prongs spring back and attach to the heart. Interesting. Okay. And it's RFID. Like my current pacemaker is Bluetooth. <clears throat> I have a remote. <laughs> yeah, I'm remote controlled. I make my friends, I'm send in the pacemaker transmissions when it's time for a report. Uh-huh. They I make YouTube videos with my friends where they scan it in because I've done such a bad job of the past twenty years doing it myself. I don't trust me to do it anymore. So it's kinda like when you were sixteen kind of making a game of it again. Yeah. Fair enough. Hey whatever gets the job done, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it sounds like overall, um, as, as much as you can, it sounds like your health has, has rebounded and you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I'm dead still day by day, but I'm feeling great. Sure. Take the good with the bad. So I, here's a question for you. Uh, Derek, it's a question that I ask every one of our guests and uh, not to minimize your life situations or anything that you've gone through. Uh, but if you were to, you know, look at the story of your life, what's the one thing that you would want somebody to focus on? What's the, what's the shareable moment? Keep fighting. Keep fighting. I grew up in the eighties. I mean, I grew up wanting to be the karate kid. I wanted to be Rocky. I wanted, I wanted to be those, you know, that character. And so I kind of, I did my best to create it through my own life. So, and I think that's pretty evident in the way that you've, you've told your story and, and that uh, sounds like you never had quit on your vocabulary, at least when it came to those things. Yeah. I mean, I've listened, I have, um, the Rocky speech to his son is, um, I listen to that at least once a week where he talks about, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going. So use that as motivation. Yeah. All right. I know which one you're talking about. I'll probably have to go back and listen to it just so I, I can, uh, place it all in my memory, but, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, he's just telling his son about how life beats you down and, you know, it'll keep you there if you let it. Okay. Very good. Well, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I wrote a book. I forgot to even mention that. That's you wrote a book? you got to tell us about yeah. that. 
Yeah, that's available on the website. So you got a lot of uh, funny stories, a lot of a lot of things we weren't able to uh, really talk about here today, but some funny stories from the hospital stays. I mean, stuff. There's some great stuff in there. I mean, I. There's a story I believe's in there. I hope's in there. If not, I went into one surgery in Gainesville, really cocky, wearing um, Georgia Bulldog pajama pants. And I came out of surgery covered from head to toe in Florida Gator temporary tattoos. That's awesome. <laughs> so well, at, least they, at least they had a good sense of humor. Have fun with your medical team, but beware of your medical team when it comes <laughs> to football and sports rivalries. Understood. Yeah, that could have been so much worse. <laughs> yeah, I woke up to a nurse with a wash rag on my arm, and she goes, I got most of them off your face, and we're working oh, on Oh, no. <laughs> well, excellent. So that's all available at your website then, correct? The book, yeah. The, 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 the stuff for the, the, the plush dolls and uh, the dogs, the therapy dogs. Yep, it's it's all there. The book uh, links right at the top. Um, social media links are all right there at the top. Little uh, cubes. Okay, well, and they'll and take you to everything. DerekCanis.com, correct? Yes, D E R E K C A N A S dot com. So, Derek, we we very much appreciate you being on today and and talking with us. It's always good to hear somebody who's had a you know what and many people maybe from the outside looking in would think that you've had a rough go but uh, you certainly have a very positive frame of mind and and personality and so it's very encouraging and inspiring so thank you for being on today thank you for having me all right thank you so much and that's going to conclude this episode of focused on forward well that concludes another episode of focused on forward to be a guest of focused on forward you can reach us through twitter at podcast fof through our facebook page named focused on forward or through email focused on forward at gmail.com we look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told so until then be safe be kind and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward